This is Ignition. Welcome to Ignition, a podcast and radio show for the, for the new evangelization. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Bergwald. And I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. And we are somewhat back to normal. Father, you are, you're in Brookings. You're at the Newman Center, right? Yes, sir. Yes, no more out and about here and there flittering to and fro. <laughs> Apparently not. When I think of Father Dickinson, I don't think of flitterers, just yeah. to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> Not sure that's quite an adjective <laughs> to describe a man of my group. <laughs> Very good. So, Father, let's just jump right into it this week, huh? Amen. Before we do that, though, uh, I do want to remind our listeners, uh, if you've listened to the podcast before or the radio show, uh, you've you've heard me say this, but we love feedback. So if you have questions, comments, concerns, complaints, ideas for future episodes, email Bishop Swinton. <laughs> no, email me, uh, Chris at cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. C-B-U-R-G-W-A-L-D at S as in Sam, F as in Frank, catholic.org. sfcatholic.org. So, Father, I had to get that in there, right? Exactly. So, uh, this, this, um, this week, this episode, we're going to talk about a topic that I, I realized, somewhat surprisingly so, we, Father and I at least, and haven't talked about since we've uh, been doing this relaunch of the podcast for the last oh, three years, I think. Uh, and that is the existence of God. Father Dickinson, does God exist? Yes. Thank you very much for listening. This has been a great episode. We'll be back now. May Almighty God bless you all. <laughs> no, obviously we, we we need to and we and and we want to uh, to address this. How do we know that? How do we know that God exists? Father and I have both shared uh, in the past about for for both of us, um, we sort of uh, our, our faith was awoken, uh, awakened, awoken woke up, whatever, uh, in a particular way during our college years. And for me at that time, um, one of the, this was one of the first issues that, that really was a a focus of my attention, a focus of my reading and so on. That is, how do we know that God's, that God really exists? I had just, I I hadn't uh, formally left the Catholic church or left belief in God, so to speak. I, I just was a, a very non-practicing young Catholic man during college, my first couple of years. Uh, and then when I came back, th- th- this was a question. I believed that God exists, but but I wanted to know, how do we know that God exists? How, how do we explain that rationally, using our human reason? And so that sent me to reading a bunch of books, um, it would send me to uh, the internet to to do research, uh, and and then at a certain point to start engaging in conversation, uh, primarily through email, but, but with some some um, atheists on the internet. Um, you know, everybody's on the internet, so it was easy to find atheists and people who were willing to to not just argue but talk about reasons for their belief or their unbelief. Actually, it's usually harder to find someone who actually is willing to talk. Yeah, you're right. Argue. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's certainly true. That's unfortunately true for for every side. But but we we do find those people who are actually actually interested in listening and talking and listening and so on. Uh, so so for me, this this was really a, a, a topic of investigation. And Father, I don't know if I've, I've shared this before, but one of the, you know, I, I knew enough um, about uh, the, the, well, I shouldn't say, I, I knew a tiny, 
tiny bit about what we believe as Catholics from my my good um, uh, catechetical program growing up, excellent confirmation teacher, uh, and 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 through history I'd heard of this guy Thomas Aquinas, uh, Italian Dominican friar from the 13th century, uh, and and he, that he wrote this this massive uh, book. The Summa Theologica, uh, as 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 it, uh, it, as, it, as as it's often called. Uh, so so I checked out. This is Father when I was still at the University of Minnesota. I checked out from the University of Minnesota's library. The all in the version they had was three volumes. All three volumes of the Summa, and it's a format that by published by Benzinger Brothers in the mid twentieth century. Roughly eight and a half by eleven um, volumes, and stacked up the three volumes were probably a good eight nine inches high, <laughs> and I I started to read them. Father, yeah, I skipped the past the first couple um, several pages, the first couple of articles and questions of the Summa to this question of, of how we know our God's existence. Can we rationally prove the existence of God? And Thomas starts. Uh, talking about substance and accidents. And to me, as somebody who knew virtually, well, pretty much nothing about philosophy, an accident was something that happens when you make a mistake. Right. And so the the Summa pretty much promptly got shut, uh, closed rather, and set my bedside and would go on to accrue a nice $30 um, library fine for me. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> which you did pay? Which I did pay, even though I I eventually left the University of Minnesota for for uh, well for me greener pastures, um, theologically and faith speaking. Uh, I did pay that fine. Yes, thank you for asking. Uh, so anyway, so so Father, this this for me this was a question. Now for you, not as much maybe. No, not really. Ever just. Uh, uh, Normal assumption that, uh, you know, of course, I would I would look at some of the discussions and answered others' questions and just kind of enjoying, but never any like existential moment of does God exist? Right. So there are obviously as as, as Christians we we know and we believe that God exists, and as Catholics, uh, like many other Christians, we believe that it is possible to to prove God prove prove God's existence rationally with our with hum, the human intellect, the power of the human intellect alone. And so what Father and I want to do in this, this episode is just talk about some of the ways, generically, broadly speaking, about how we know that God's, God exists. In the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, it, it talks about how most proofs for God's existence fall into one of two categories. The, the proofs based on looking at the world around us, um, on, on creation, on creatures, looking at them and drawing conclusions based on that. Um, uh, other proofs for the existence of God look inward, look into the, the, the human person, so to speak, not biologically, but just uh, based on human experience, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, both both kinds of proofs in a broad sense. There are some some books that I that I want to recommend to to listeners who are interested in going uh, deeper with this, uh, because we're not going to be able to do this topic justice in in uh, uh, one episode of Ignition. The the first one I want to recommend, and certainly a, a very readable book, is the Handbook of Catholic Apologetics by Peter Kraft and Father Ronald Tasselli. Uh, both of these men uh, teach at Boston College, teach philosophy at Boston College. And this, this book, The Handbook of Catholic Apologetics, 
is based on a book that they originally published um, in the mid-90s called The Handbook of Christian Apologetics. The difference is the, 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 this newer version, The Handbook of Catholic Apologetics, has a couple chapters on how the Catholic faith is the fullness of the Christian faith. Um, the, the earlier edition didn't have that. It was just broadly speaking, uh, arguing for the truth of the Christian faith uh, in, in its broad sense. This one focuses uh, in, a, in a couple chapters uh, looking in, at the Catholic faith in particular. So, uh, Father, have, do you know, have you seen this, looked at this book at all before? Um, not close. Okay, so this this book has uh, a chapter on the existence of God, and 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 it looks at twenty different arguments for the existence of God. So that's one book. Another book I wanted to mention, not by a Catholic. Um, his name is Norman Geisler. The title is, is Christian Apologetics, um, and and the middle part of this book uh, really goes through. Uh, a great argument for the existence of God. And then finally, for those of you who really want to look at this more deeply, more substantially, there's a book called An Introduction to the Philosophy of Religion. An Introduction to the Philosophy of Religion by Brian Davies. He's a Catholic who teaches philosophy at Fordham University in New York. So three three books that I would recommend. Father, any, any books come to your mind that you want to mention? Or, uh... Well, yeah, just one book, which is a general apologetics book, um, called uh, uh, Apologetics and Catholic Doctrine by Trisha Michael Sheehan, Apologetics and Catholic Doctrine. It's put out by Baronius Press Classics. And it's, uh, it's an old, uh, high, actually it was a high school textbook from the early 20th century, the 1900s. And it's uh, pretty intense, but really straightforward and I think profitable. More kind of, a, not so much a, a page turner, read to, uh, corner, uh, cover to cover, but more of a reference of topics. Okay. Okay. So, so looking at this topic, Father, I know that you you had mentioned in an email yesterday that this is you, you were really enjoying looking at, at at this topic and preparing for this episode. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why or or what what it was that you were finding, or do you want to save that till later? Well, I think just in general, it's just great to read some of these things, and providentially, a couple of things are coming up passages when you suggested it. Um, but uh, just that is, it's, it's it's great for all Christians and all Catholics to be prepared and to have a response to questions like these, because there is kind of this <clears throat> so a hermeneutic of suspicion, this, this basic suspicion everyone has. Even asking the question in general, does God exist, is a uh, kind of grave presumption. And it's almost pro- more proper to ask, or because because that question, um, does God exist, almost kind of prejudices us against the fact to begin with. You know, uh, the assumption almost seems to be that there is no way God could exist, or there is the possibility God doesn't exist. Whereas, I think a more intellectually honest question would be, you know, <clears throat> how how is it that our world is the way it is? You know, we observe things, we see things in our world, and what, what explanation could there be that our world is this way? Um, which just kind of has a, a greater intellectual honesty to ask things that way, and that, which kind of takes us into some of those natural arguments for the existence of God that the Catechism talks about. So maybe an example of that, um, a lot of the arguments uh, for the existence of God that look at the world around us uh, get lumped together under, categ- under the category of cosmological arguments. So it's looking at the cosmos, the world around us. Uh, and many of them ultimately, uh, in fact, most of the, the arguments based on, on observing the world around us boil down to the question, why is there something rather than nothing at all? Uh, mm-hmm. I, th- I think, there was there an article that you read about this recently that struck you? Yeah, first 
Things uh, magazine published an article online on uh, the 24th of July. And so the the, artic- the author of the article is, is Edward Fazer, F-E-S-E-R, and uh, I think, well, Professor Fazer, I think Dr. Fazer, uh, he, he teaches philosophy as well. He, uh, interestingly, like like many people who, who become very strong advocates for things like proving the existence of God, used not to be, used not to be, you didn't used to be, uh, believe it. He was an atheist, uh, and, and it was through his continual research and his openness, a point that we'll talk about at the end, uh, but, but it was through his research and study, uh, he, he, he moved from atheism to theism, to Christianity, to Catholicism. Um, and, and he now writes uh, at length, he's written a couple books on the topic. He has a, a very... Uh, uh, He's a very prolific blogger. He writes long philosophical articles on, a, on his own personal blog, um, some of which uh, address this question of the existence of God. And I think, Father, the article that, that, that you saw directly uh, focused on this question of why is there something as opposed to nothing? Why do things exist when they need it, right? Correct, and which is in response to some thinking and uh, pondering by some other philosophers and uh, physicians. Uh, not physicians, physicists. There we go. Yeah, they, <laughs> it could be both, but they usually aren't. So, so anyway, Father, anything from the article that you think is apropos to this question that you want to point out? Well, no, I think I think most of all, let's just go into that question: why the world is the way it is. Let's go into some of those proofs, right? For our so, listeners on uh, on how we uh, know what we know about the world. So, are there any of those those cosmological proofs in particular that is a favorite of yours? Why you mentioned one that was a favorite of yours? Yes, I, yes, I did. So mine is the question of uh, if we look at the it's called the, the proof based on the idea of contingent being versus necess, necessary being, and and what does that mean? If we look at the world around us, we everything that we see exists, but it needn't. Uh, how do we know that it needn't? Because it hasn't before. In other words, take little old me, for instance. <laughs> I have existed for pert near 40 years, but the universe is a lot older than 40 years. For most of the nearly 14 billion years of the universe's existence, Chris Bergwald did not. Um, I was not. I did not exist. My existence is not necessary, which is demonstrated by the fact that I haven't always existed. It was when you were not. Correct. And if we look at the world, if we look at the world around us, we see that that's true about everything that 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 we observe. Everything that we see, we come in contact with through any of our senses, exists, but it needn't. And, And so, its being is philosophers say our being, its being is contingent. It does exist, but it needn't exist. Its its existence is contingent on something else. Something else, not just caused at at its beginning caused it to come into existence, but continues to cause it to exist. And again, what, what, just a brief little pause here. Um, we're just giving you sort of a nutshell summary of some of these proofs, um, not the full. So if, if you're an atheist listening or a skeptic, I'm not saying that what, what I'm saying right now is going to, oh, wow, that's definitely, I can see what Chris is saying. I believe in God, that God exists now. I'm just giving sort of, say that again. 
Although it might. It might, but, but that might happen, praise God. But but I'm not presuming that it will. I'm just giving sort of a summary version, in this case, of the argument from necessary or contingent being. So so, so this the world around us is contingent. It does, it does exist, but it needn't. So why does it? Why, again, why is there something as opposed to nothing? Uh, and, and if when, when we when philosophers look deeper, and this goes back to the ancient Greeks, like Plato and Aristotle, uh, who developed variations of this argument to prove that there is some necessary being that causes everything else to exist. And so the, 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 this argument, as, you, as you, it runs its course, the conclusion is that there must be something which at this moment, at every instant, is causing my existence and the existence of every other contingent being to, to exist, causing causing its being. And that being must be, therefore, necessary. So sometimes presenting this argument in some of its different forms, um, some people say, uh, well, then what what causes God to exist? What If everything else needs a cause, what caused God? What, the, the point is that there is some being which is uncaused, which is necessary. And that is, as St. Thomas Aquinas puts it in the Summa, that being we call God. I mean, you can you could call it whatever you wanted, but there must be this being that 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 exists that undergirds supports and gives existence to every other form of being in all of creation in a nutshell that's the argument based on necessary being does that make some sense father oh very much so and it's uh you're going to put it maybe back in a layman's terms you got to have ground to stand on right and so uh everything that exists must have some source in that sense, because it's possible for a tree not to exist, it's possible for the earth not to exist, it's possible for the sun not to exist. There was a time when our sun did not exist. There even was, you know, from the Big Bang Theory, there even was a time when the universe did not exist, or even multiverses in that sense, you could say, if you want to go there. So there must be something that isn't contingent, that doesn't depend on something else. And it is that thing that we call God. Exactly. Now, it's, it's important to note, too, that that thing which we call God, as St. Thomas Aquinas says, um, that non-contingent being, or there's other ways that he, he talks with us, the unmoved mover, and um, some other ways of, of speaking about this thing, and other kind of proofs of this, uh, it doesn't really get us to the, the God of Jesus Christ, right? That takes revelation, that takes some other source of knowledge than just our knowledge of the world around us to get to those points. But at the very least, it gets us to this idea of, oh, okay, I can see that there must be some non-contingent being, in a sense. Right. Or or maybe it gets us to the God of Jesus Christ in limited part. Uh, we, you know, what, what we're saying is true about the God of Jesus Christ. Right, but, but it's, it, not, it's not all the details. Exactly. It's like a silhouette instead of a, a profile That's photo. a great, a great image, yeah. <clears throat> so that, that's an argument that I particularly like. Um, Father, I think another thing that we were, just for the sake of time, uh, if we were to come back to these proofs, the conversation about the, the, the cosmological proofs, we can. But, but miracles can also be uh, proofs for God's, God's existence, right? Very much so. Any, any, yeah, um, uh, maybe a secular ver- or a uh, popular culture version of this would be the movie Signs by M. Night Shyamalan. Right. Uh, before his movie started to get worse. Yes. Um, but yeah, that's certainly so. Uh, some something is going on here. 
Right. So we, and there are all sorts of examples. Um, and, and with all of them, what we see just as with, you know, we read the scripture, the gospel accounts of, of Jesus working miracles, and we know that they didn't convince everybody. There, there obviously continue to be people who didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, that he was a very bad man, even though he's working all these miracles. And one thing that's important to note here about miracles is that God does not use miracles to force somebody to accept accept uh, belief in his existence. Miracles are always used to strengthen the faith of, of, of somebody who already does believe or to bring somebody to faith who is open to it. But never is it used for a complete 180 from, from resolute unbelief to determined belief. There always has to be some degree of openness uh, in order for a miracle to, to, to bring somebody to greater or even to first faith. But we know, Father, that there are there are miracles are real. They, they actually do happen. There are things that happen that, that medicine and science cannot explain and that the doctors and the scientists who investigate them say there's no way that we could ever explain this. It's not just because we don't know enough now the the, the, the phenomena that are that phenomenon that are being investigated simply cannot be explained scientifically, period. Correct. Correct. And uh, I, uh, some of these that I enjoy are some like the <clears throat> miracles for the cause of canonization of someone, uh, particularly thinking of the miracle uh, for the canonization of St. Juan Diego, uh, the uh, Native American from near Mexico City back in the 16th century, and uh, how the miracle for his canonization was someone who uh, fell off like a six or seven story roof in Mexico City, was essentially brain dead in the hospital and the doctor's just saying look there's nothing that can be done and the family prayed and asked everyone to pray through the intercession of saint juan diego and even placed a relic of saint juan diego with them uh, with the the suffering man and full brain function restored and just an absolute reversal that the physical destruction of his brain was was restored right I mean, and, and, and that's that's verifiable, that's documented. Um, these things can be investigated. I, an example that I know that has not gone through a formal process but is medically unexplainable. There's a, there's a man who I knew uh, who was studying, um, when I was studying in Rome, uh, he was with a religious order. He was a brother at the time um, in a religious order. And he was, was studying towards the priesthood. And it turned out that he had uh, he he developed stomach cancer, and the after first or second year my first or second year in Rome, he went home and he was getting his affairs in order to die because it was a very very uh, a form of cancer that was growing very very malignant, um, and and there was nothing that was going to be able to happen. He had prayed he went and prayed at the tomb of a, a blessed uh, Father Solanus Casey uh, in Michigan. He saw the doctor. The doctor. Uh, they did all sorts of, I think, X-rays, CAT scans, and MRIs. Uh, said, um, "Come back again next week." He's, uh, "Why? Come back." So he came back. They ran more tests, and then after the second time, uh, the doctor said, "I have no idea how to explain this, but the tumor is gone, and there's no existence that it was ever there." Wow. And that, that's the, the, beautiful. Yeah. So there's all these different things that, that happen that we can investigate, Father. And, and we see that, I mean, there's, there's no, if God did not exist, I don't know, how else could we explain these sorts of things? Is, I don't know, is there any other way to explain them? 
it, it would be difficult. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's one way. But then I also mentioned at the outset, the catechism talks about um, looking to the, the experience of the human person, to, to the experiences that we all have as, as, as human beings. And when we look at those experiences closely, when we, when we reflect on our own experience, our own lives, we can see in, in a number of ways uh, arguments "Quote unquote proofs, uh, essentially, for the existence of God." And I know there was one in particular that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, th- well, there's a couple good ones. Uh, you know, one good one is just the idea of morals, morality. Uh, that within that every human person, in some way, looks at the world morally, for the most part. And there's a, a natural moral inclination to man across culture and time, uh, which is which is an interesting one to look into. But I think the more interesting one is the appetite for joy, which uh, is uh, uh, kind of first, or most famously uh, documented by C.S. Lewis in his own conversion process. Uh, the book Surprised by Joy talks about this. Uh, but the fact that uh, um, within the natural world, within creatures, with appetites, there's always something that corresponds to our appetites. Mm. So I have an appetite for sleep, and lo and behold, there's such a thing as sleep that allows me to rest. I have an appetite for food, and lo and behold, there's omelets and salads which allow me to satisfy my need for food. Um, I have an appetite for friendship, right? A desire to be in communion with other people, and lo and behold, hey, there's other people with whom I can be in relationship with. Um, does that make sense? Yes, it does. Good. So then we have a desire for joy. And it's beyond just the desire to be entertained. It's beyond just the desire uh, to, be, to be occupied for a moment, but a real desire for joy, for something that, that goes beyond us. And it seems like that desire for joy cannot be fully satisfied by any earthly thing. Mm. So it's not pleasure. Right. Because, of course, pleasure uh, fades when the sensation fades. I don't know. Snickers are darn good, though. (laughs) Once on the lips. Um, But, uh, and so so there must be something or some some reality that will then satisfy my desire for joy. Okay. And uh, the the proposition here be that that such a thing is, is God is the eternal, the eternal being, the eternal existence, the eternal being of, of love, who then uh, we were made for, we were made for an appetite for him to seek that eternal goodness, that eternal joy, God, uh, and, and that's what we're doing, seeking in this world. So in a nutshell, we have these desires, these appetites, as you called them, and every other desire, every appetite that we have is fulfilled by something. Among the desires and appetites that we have is this desire for lasting fullness of joy. Mm-hmm. And therefore, if we look at that reasonably, it would seem that there must be something in existence that will fulfill me in that way. Is that, is that mm-hmm. in a nutshell? Very much so. And that when we examine living in life, uh, it seems that there is no physical or material thing which will satisfy that desire. Gotcha. Okay. And that that can be seen just like the moral uh, proof, which can be seen across culture and time. So this desire for joy for something beyond us can be seen across culture and across time. You might consider maybe one of the transcendentals, perhaps beauty or unity, which is your favorite transcendental. <laughs> maybe. But uh, But certainly in the seeking for... 
for those things. That, that, that speaks, this capacity or this appetite speaks to some reality. Absolutely. Which we call God, as which, Thomas Aquinas would say. Which we call God. And again, Father and I, just wrapping up the episode now, we've just touched on these things. And as the books that we mentioned, there are others out there. We can know with our human intellect that God exists, and, and, and these are some resources. This is just a little touch that we've given. Again, email me if you have any questions about this, any ideas for future, future episodes, cbergwald at sfcatholic.org. And until next time, dear listeners, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.